What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles in the house, a.k.a. the Kimura King, a.k.a. the Ayatollah of Ankle Locks. Guys, <clears throat> this ADCC trials, this past one, I saw this massive Asian dude with these gigantic freaking quads. And I'm like, dude, I need to look like you. Please help me. So he wrote me a workout program. He's a professional powerlifter. He does jujitsu. He competes. He's a total badass. Um, and something about the workout program that was very different than the other ones is that how unique it was. Um, and it, I made a lot of progress. A lot of it fixed a lot of my ankle, lower back, and knee problems. And uh, definitely brought him onto the podcast to to enlighten you guys a little bit, give you another perspective, and. <clears throat> Something I've been doing in my podcast lately, instead of trying to find someone like, oh, you know, this will probably get me a lot of views, I've been looking at it more like, hey, this is just somebody I would want to have a conversation with regardless, so why not just, let's just fucking record it, and it'll be fun for me, it'll be fun for them, it'll be fun for the audience. I learned a lot in this episode, super knowledgeable, Jimmy House. Give him a follow on Instagram at jhouse182. But before you do that, don't forget to follow me at K-O-O-L-R-A-K on Instagram at Immortals Jiu-Jitsu at Rambling with Rack. All right. Make sure to check out my website, ImmortalsJiuJitsu.com. Guys, sit back and enjoy the episode and let me know who else you want me to have on. What's up, guys? Sultan of Strangles here with my main man, Jimmy House. Instagram is jhouse182. Um, the way I met Jimmy House was at ADCC Trials. I just saw this guy with the most massive fucking quads I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And I'm like, bro, I need I need to look like this. Can you please? <laughs> <laughs> Can you please let me know what your program is? And he wrote me a program, and I've been loving it so far. So um, I really think you guys would definitely... Uh, benefit a lot from this episode because you guys love my uh, jujitsu strength and conditioning so yeah introduce yourself jim what's going on guys my name is jimmy house i'm based out of phoenix arizona i'm a brazilian jujitsu brown belt a professional powerlifter and professional natural bodybuilder uh, my main job is teaching jujitsu and i also have my online clientele base in which i do a lot of strength training for jujitsu athletes powerlifting athletes and some bodybuilding in there as well that's amazing man um so first, first things first, man, is Jimmy House your real name? So uh, it's kind of. Well, so my, my legal name is Charles James House, which is kind of a secret, but not really anymore. The more people get to know me. And long story short, when I was a kid, I went by the name Chucky because it's an offset of Charles. And I got bullied by kids my age calling me like Chucky the doll or like Chucky Cheese or whatever the case may be. So uh -huh. I switched my name to James. I, I had James and I was doing judo at the time and my sensei took the name James and introduced, introduced the nickname Jimmy. And so I really liked the, the name Jimmy and it just kind of stuck with me ever since I was six. So the nickname is Jimmy. Technically, my real name is Charles James House. But honestly, I think Jimmy's fitting. It was more it was more because of the last name, because I'm like, that's such a power lifter name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually my last name. <laughs> that's amazing yeah man that's that's wild um 
I I find it hard to believe that you were bullied though. Yeah, you know uh, I mean, <laughs> who the hell's gonna bully you, bro? <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, honestly, as a kid, I did not have a whole lot of confidence within myself. I think I had a good heart, which I like to think I still do. But with that, it was a little bit of a lack of confidence when it, when it came to sticking up to my, for myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so much of the points where I let it change my name and here I am at age 25, still living a lie. And <laughs> all, <laughs> because of, all because they're like kids blowing me when I was young, but it's all right. That's wild. Because the thing is, Charles is not really a funny name. Like anyone I know is Charles, they just call him Chuck, and that's right. it. It's yeah, not my, like a Belvedere or something. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, my dad, uh, his name's Charles too, and he goes by Chuck. Um, how I got stuck with Chucky, I'm not really sure. Like, I think my mom thought it was cute, and you know, obviously my peers didn't, so it's all good. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything happens for a reason. I think it, in a way, it's a blessing that those kids made fun of me because Jimmy seemed to have, seems to have kind of stuck well for me, so it's all good. That's so cool. That's amazing, man. So um, what what exactly got you into powerlifting? So it kind of starts back to when I was younger. My dad had always been lifting ever since I could remember. And we had our garage set up. And so when I was young, like age three, age four, I remember like kind of going in the garage and watching him work out and lift weights and everything. And basically, long story short, as soon as I got to the age to where I could kind of comprehend the movements that he was doing, he was showing me some movements at a very young age. So like five or six, I remember getting my first like little mini weight set from Sports Authority, it was called. And, you know, just doing some basic movements like barbell curls and barbell press. And, you know, and the bar was like probably all of maybe two or three pounds, you know. Uh, But I just started practicing and learning some stuff when I was young. And I remember being like probably first or second grade and we would work out twice every weekend. That led up into my freshman year of high school where I started taking over my own training. Then I started training some of my closest friends and then fast forward to being age 25. You know, I've been around the weights for about 20 years. And after high school, I, I ended up breaking my school squat record. And that, that kind of encouraged me to want to try powerlifting because I'm like, well, if I set a record at the school, maybe I could try to set some records, some record somewhere else. And then so I started competing as a teen in powerlifting. Got some records along the way, and then uh, that's what bled into jujitsu after. But I'm sure we'll talk about that in a sec. That's wild, man. That you had school records. Like my school just was had a weight room. That's it. We didn't have anything like school records. Oh no, really? What is that? Like all time records, or just for your class? What? Yeah, it's uh, like uh, all time records. So I, my my school was opened in like nineteen ninety nine or two thousand, one of the two. So pretty much anyone that's ever touched a barbell at the school is eligible to be on the record list. And you know, granted, at the time the record list had a bunch of like you know big three hundred pound football players on the squat list and the bench list and stuff like that. So I was the only one on there at the time under two hundred pounds. I think I might still be, but uh, yeah, I was able to get the squat record before I graduated. So that was a nice little ending to high school. Oh, wow. So this is not, this is not uh, a weight class thing. It's just top squat. Doesn't matter how much you weigh. Yeah, no. Yeah. It, it would have been nice if it was weight classes, but it was just pretty much who's ever squatted the most at the school. <laughs> That's amazing. Pretty unfair too. Yeah. How much bit. did you weigh when you broke the record? I think I was like right under 200, maybe like 197, 198. Wow. That's amazing. And um, in powerlifting, so it's very similar to you. I started lifting when I was 11 years old. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. um, I just, I would watch, I watched Rocky and um, 
what I got out of the movie was not that I wanted to be like a boxer. It's just as the workouts in the movie pumped me up so much. And I'm like, I need to do this. So I would just pick up random stuff in my house. <laughs> and, you know, I would pretend to do the Rocky workouts. Hell yeah. And I started getting like pretty good shape. And then my stepdad actually bought me my first weight set. Um, just this rusty old weight set. But it was old school. One of the old school weight sets uh-huh. with the real iron weights. And I, I, I still use it today, man. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, it's not one of those fake freaking iron weights that you see in the gym now. It's the real Uh steel. Yeah, uh, C.T. Fletcher calls it pig pig iron. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. But yeah, uh, I've been working out very similar since I was uh, 11 years old. But um, wanted to know what (laughs) what got you into jujitsu. So I wrestled in high school all four years. And after high school, the way it ended for me was, was somewhat unfortunate. Basically I was, I was the top one or two wrestlers in my weight class in state, depending upon like what pole you were looking at. And so my senior year ended, unfortunately to a concussion. I got sent to the ER six days before state in the uh, regional or sectional tournament finals. And so after working four years to accomplish a state title, I just kind of like, you know, once, once that kind of left the room for me, I just, didn't want anything to do with wrestling. And again, like I said, setting that squat record encouraged me to want to try powerlifting. So I saw that as my next competitive endeavor. I did that for about two and a half years. And during that process, I'll be straight up honest with you. I went from about, uh, again, I went from about 200 pounds, like right under all the way up to 270 in about two and a half years with a combination of not wrestling anymore, having a girlfriend that we would eat out all the time, uh, you know, not doing cardio anymore, just a poor diet in general. And I put on 70 pounds and, you know, I hated the way I looked and I, I just, and my, and the first thing I really noticed is my cheeks. I'm like, my cheeks just blow up, you know? Mm. And I, I felt like I had lost my athleticism. I tried to go back into my high school wrestling room one time and do a practice. And the next day I woke up and my joints and everything hurt so bad. I felt like I was 80 years old, but I was only like 19 or 20. And so that was a huge low point for me when it came to like understanding that, wow, I'm not really the athlete I once was or the one, the athlete that I pride myself in being. So then I dedicated myself to dropping all the weight and putting powerlifting to this, to the side for a bit. I remember not really even lifting for about four or five months. And during that process, it was a bit of a reset and I was looking for a reason or a way to, to lose weight, but obviously stay motivated in the process. I did one 30 minute session on the treadmill walking at an incline. And I told myself, I'm never going to do this ever again. <laughs> yeah. Just, I can't just the attention span. And it's like, it's so redundant. And I just, I couldn't do it. So yeah, I can't either, man. I don't yeah. know how people do the treadmill. <laughs> yeah, man. I just hated it. I absolutely hated it. Same thing with Stairmaster or whatever, just anything that's repetitive like that. Just, I can't. And so, yeah. um, I was like, well, the only thing I really knew at the time as far as getting a good workout in cardio-wise I didn't hate was wrestling. So I found a open wrestling tournament for adults to sign up for, and I told myself that I was going to make the 220 weight class. So I gave myself uh, like a couple months to get from 270 to 220. So I would go into the different high schools around that I had connections with, do practice. But during their spring break, when the wrestling rooms were closed, I still needed a place to train. So then one of my friends at the time had hit me up to come try out where I'm actually coaching now called TNT MMA training center in Phoenix. And I tried out my first jujitsu class, honestly, again, just trying to stay active and rolling. And I was like, you know what, this actually might be my next 
thing that I'm meant to conquer. You know, I've always felt like I've gone from thing to thing to thing, be it wrestling to lifting to whatever. And I'm like, I, I, the way I felt after my first class, you know, I didn't know what to do, but I didn't feel like I really did that bad compared to the people that had been there for a while. So, you know, I started continuing going and then it turned on to a full blown career at a blink of an eye. And, and, you know, then I haven't looked back since. So, and through that process, I went from 270 to 190 in about a year and a half. And I've gone through my stints of getting bigger and cutting down again. And, you know, it's just been a process now for the last little under five years where everything is going very well. And I really like the schedule that I've created myself due in large part to jujitsu. That's amazing, man. Um, what what's really fascinating about that story is that you pretty much stumbled upon jujitsu by accident. Yeah, totally. It, it was not planned. It's pretty wild. It was like it was like a kind of destiny if you think about it. I I'm a huge believer in it, man. Like I, everything happens for a reason. Timing is always perfect, no matter how shitty something may seem at the time. Give it some time, and you'll you'll you kind of see why things happen the way they do. So yeah, TNT came into my life at a at a perfect time. Mentally, physically, I was at probably my life low with different things that was happening on the side. And it couldn't have come in at a better time to rejuvenate myself as far as discipline, motivation, and inspire myself to be what I really pride myself in being, which is a complete athlete. Yeah, I agree about the complete athlete. I remember Mm -hmm. um, there was a while where I was just taking lifting very seriously. I got Mm -hmm. up to like 230 pounds. Right. But if I went to tie my own shoelaces, it was a nightmare. (laughs) I felt like I was deep sea diving. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, is this really how I want to feel? Yeah, I could Mm -hmm. freaking squat like 495. But is this really what I want to be? And I was like, no, man, I want to be healthy. I want to be light. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm significantly happier now. But I got to tell you, and this is something I want to talk in depth about on this podcast. Um, cool. the, I get the powerlifting bug all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I have I have an episode on strength and conditioning for jujitsu. And um, I see you do a lot of heavy lifts. I noticed yep. for me, if I do like a very heavy lift, because I love to lift heavy, mm-hmm. the next day my CNS is just fried. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I was thinking in this episode, we could talk about how to still lift heavy without frying your central nervous system. And I also want to talk about some of the movements you have me doing for my workout. Absolutely. Drastically, drastically help my jujitsu. Perfect, dude. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with how does one train? Well, first off, let's talk about your strength and conditioning regimen when you have a tournament coming up. So my coach, his name's Dawson Windham, a very successful powerlifter and coach, actually a couple years younger than me, um, handles all my strength training. So with that said, we kind of had like a full powerlifting split where I have five workouts that I'm supposed to hit each week or within a time period that's reasonable with my schedule. So when it comes to mixing the two with the powerlifting being a goal and the jujitsu being a goal. What's nice about having a coach, you know, an online coach that can change things on the fly like that is, you know, let's say I'm peaking for a powerlifting program and all of a sudden a super match comes up or a super fight comes up or a tournament. 
we can make those tweaks to where we start backing off a couple of weeks leading into the tournament so that I can focus on peaking for my cardio, you know, my timing for jujitsu and start letting my body recover from whatever heavy lifting I was doing a couple of weeks prior. Uh-huh. So it's, it's nice for me to be able to have the flexibility with a coach that is willing to listen to whatever competitive endeavor I have coming up with jujitsu and be able to take whatever current program we're running take the progressive overload that's implemented with it and be able to tweak it or adjust it so that I'm able to still perform well on the mat, but -hmm. not necessarily hinder my progress that we made with the powerlifting program itself. So it's a lot of up, up more up and down than you would if you were just a strict powerlifter, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the progress is a little bit more linear if you're doing like an eight to 12 week program, but with jujitsu competitions coming up every so often, or sometimes at random, it is nice to be able to work back down and then work up. And honestly, from what I've seen, I haven't really decreased in strength from when I back off a little bit preparing for a tournament or a super fight or what have you. Um, it's just it's just a slightly longer process, which is, which is fine for me. So let's give us like a concrete example. Like what was your what was your lifting regimen for try? What was your, what was your training and lifting regimen for ADCC trials? Okay. So specifically the lifting regimen that I had set up at the time was also to help me recover from some really bad SI issues I was dealing with right before I started my cut for trials. Mm -hmm. So to give some, give some backstory, I was up at two fifty in mid August and I started my cut right at mid-August, and I was aiming for a 800-pound deadlift at the time. I got it halfway up back in April or March of 2021, mm-hmm. and basically from April until August, it would be me getting close to 800, and then my SI would act up, have a pretty bad flare-up, have to build mm-hmm. back down and then build back up, and that happened like two or three times to where it was getting so close to trials where like, dude, I just... I need to I need to hang up the shoes at least for a little bit and, and focus. And so when I started that strength program leading into trials, it was all for one very high rep, very focused on bullet bulletproofing the body, kind of the concept that we talked about when I was writing your program. Yeah. And we just focused on getting the hip flexors as strong as possible, building strength within the lower back by incorporating movements that have spinal flexion so that I can build strength in that area that was giving me trouble. Very high rep sets. You know, I was doing, you know, sets of 20 for the first, you know, four, like four weeks or so of, of almost everything. And so like, and I would do uh, like, he had me on uh, what's it called? Uh, he, he had me on heel, heel elevated squats, the same thing that I'm doing for you. Yeah. Um, you know, really focusing on maximizing knee flexion so that I can build strength in my knees because my, my training program leading into trials and I kid you not, and you can ask my coach, any of my best friends, but le- legitimately I was training rolling two or three times a day hard and then lifting on top of that. So training like three to four times a day in, in total between the, between everything. And so how does one do that and not let their body dismantle in the process well Mm -hmm. to me it comes from the accessory work what you're doing to make sure that your body is able to withstand that type of impact day in and day out and so that's where i became such a believer in the accessory movements that that encourage full flexion of each and every muscle and each and every joint so that you are fully prepared to take damage in any which direction 
and be able to stay strong and not let things pull or what have you given things that are out of your control. So that's, that's something about the program that you wrote uh, for me that I love the most. Um, I remember <clears throat> I wanted to get good at Astagrass squats back in mm-hmm. 2008. And uh, so I put two 10 pound weights under my heels so I could get mm-hmm. down lower and some old loser walks up to me. that's not good for your knees oh uh, yeah yep <laughs> i fucking listened to him uh-huh and bro i was ahead of the curve back then so i stopped and i just squat a little below parallel just you know the same way the powerlifting meets mm-hmm. say and when i got off the phone with you you told me that you need to train your muscles to max flexion so yep. pretty much ask the grass and if you can't do that do it elevated so i've been mm-hmm. doing that and my knees feel so much stronger now good dude um yeah and so honestly so i have a name for those type of people and hopefully nobody gets offended but if you do oh well i i call them old heads because i because i have i have them over here in arizona and like with all due respect because they put in you know their amount of years of work and their knowledge is peaked to whatever they were exposed to at the time my problem is with people like that is that you know you get stuck in your ways and new research and new and new um uh it, I'm sorry new uh information is coming out all the time, and so I don't really like the people that are stuck in their ways and refuse to acknowledge the basic facts of whatever is coming out that is proven to work. Mm-hmm. And so I I experienced the same thing. You know, don't don't squat low, don't squat with your knees for, going tra- past your toes. You know, the list goes on because it's bad for you. Well, the the fact of the matter is is that there's no quote-unquote dangerous range of motion there's just ranges of motion where your body isn't strong enough to withstand a specific load yet exactly yeah so with proper load management you know you could be doing acid grass squats with just the bar and progress that each week five to ten pounds and all of a sudden you're back up to 315 squatting acid grass when before you could only do like a quarter squat and it's so it's just a matter of the athlete taking it upon themselves to take the time to progress, typically meaning you have to break back down to the very bare roots of a barbell or even a dumbbell, you know, and, and take the time to progress upward. And, and so that's something that I try to implement in that strength program leading into trials where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm letting go of powerlifting. I'm not, I'm not a powerlifter right now. So let's focus on revamping and re-critiquing all of my form so that I'm aiming for that max range of motion with every single lift. And now all of a sudden, five months later, I'm doing that full range of motion, but with relatively impressive weight, at least in comparison to what I was doing when I started. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's just a matter of taking the time to, to build yourself up to that point. To me, I, I always was ra- would rather see, again, a barbell squat as the grass than a 405 squat that's four or five inches high. Because the, the motor the motor skills and the positioning that it takes to just replicate an acid grass squat, be it body weight or with a 45-pound bar, is 10 times more impressive than just putting on weight and just going down halfway and then muscling it up. To yeah, me, I, It shows somebody that is a true technician behind lifting to be able to get to that position and then build strength from it through time. Yeah, so as far as the acid grass um, – you know, we have me doing it on uh, heels elevated. There's mm-hmm. this guy on Instagram. His name is Dr. John Rusin. It's uh-huh. a squat university. Uh-huh. And he says that not everybody's hips are built to go ass to grass. What do you think about that? Well, so 
I think it, I think it's all person to person. So he may not be technically incorrect, but I do also think that at the same time, you should, you should hit that max point of range of motion where you have four knee travel. So knee flexion mm-hmm. and wherever you start to see a butt wink occur, you should probably st- stop it right before then. Okay. I think that most people can get into that quote unquote ass to grass position um, if taking the time to get the mobility and, and work on the pattern, the moving pattern it takes to get down there. I just think that um, a lot of times, given a certain body type, people don't want to take the time and effort it takes to actually achieve that. Because, I mean, if you think about all the different body types that are successful in powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, you know, various body types, big, fat, skinny, tall, short, are achieving that that bottom that bottomless squat, you know, to yeah. clean a weight or whatever. So to me, it is possible. It's just a matter of whether the person wants to take the time and effort it gets to uh, perfect that. Um, and you have things such as the heel elevated to assist with, you know, whatever lack of mobility that the person is currently dealing with, or if you just want to have more knee flexion in general. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know if I'm a, I'm a hundred percent believer in that quote, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's hard to throw out blanketed statements like that when there's mm-hmm. plenty of references and, and athletes out there that kind of prove it incorrect. Interesting. Um, so as far as, you know, full knee flexion, what about other, um, what about other, uh, you know, um, exercises as far as full flexion, like bench press, incline press, is that chest to bar as well? Yeah. And so specifically that's where I feel dumbbells are very versatile because obviously there is no bar preventing you from going lower. So a lot of my pressing now, when it comes to the dumbbell accessory work, I'm going neutral elbows, so hands are facing each other, elbows right next to my side, and I'm trying to get my my hand essentially to be about level with my shoulder, if not right by my armpit, so that we're accomplishing shoulder and elbow flexion um, uh-huh. to, to essentially get the same goal except for the upper body that you will with the knee. So, again, you know, at, at my strongest, when I was up at 250, my best pressing was 190 dumbbells for three. Um, but I wasn't going neutral elbows and I definitely wasn't going down hand to armpit. I would just go down till the dumbbell hit my chest and I would press up now being 50 pounds lighter, breaking the weight down, you know, I'm hitting sets of eight to 10 with, you know, the one tens, but I'm pausing it well below my chest and, and, uh, keeping an even tempo through there. And, and result, you know, overall, my barbell press is not any weaker pound for pound. If anything, my shoulders are just better put together and I can feel the shoulder mobility, say when I'm rolling or when I'm doing other accessory movements, I don't get nearly as tight or experience that pain or discomfort in my shoulders that I used to when I wasn't doing that range of motion. Interesting. Um, so as far as that goes, um, the neutral elbows, <clears throat> just so I could tell the audience what that means. Mm-hmm. Neutral elbows means pretty much your palms are facing each other. Yeah, palms facing each other. You can use like your elbows making contact with your sides as a reference, but you know, generally most pressing has your elbows flared to a certain extent. So neutral is just like elbows pinched together, hands facing towards each other. Obviously, you can only really do that with dumbbells or like a uh, a football bar. But again, I really like the dumbbells because you do not have a limited range of motion mm-hmm. due to due to the bar across your chest. And um, 
same same concept with pull-ups because I only do pull-ups uh, neutral grip. So uh, I think it's beneficial to do every grip, honestly, with pull-ups. Like right now, I'm, I'm big on chin-ups, so reverse grip, essentially. Um, but the same concept as far as full range of motion. So I bring myself all the way down to the bottom, get a stretch across my shoulders and my lats, and then bring myself all the way to the top of the bar, trying to make contact with the bar and my chest before I initiate the next rep. But yeah, I, I find neutral pull-ups, neutral elbows on pull-ups to be beneficial specifically for grappling. Most movements that you're doing where you're pulling your elbows are in, be it a takedown or, or anything in guard or passing, mm-hmm. elbows are generally in. So I feel like neutral elbows for pull-ups is a good functional tool to transfer when you're doing your grappling. Um, and then just wider, the wide grip pull-ups in general to me are always good to focus a little bit more on the rear delts too. Interesting. Um, funny thing about your program was that it, a part, this part made me a little skeptical. You had me doing bicep curls in there, and I'm like, "Damn!" I, I was reading it. I'm like, "What is this? A freaking bodybuilding program?" <laughs> but uh, you know, once I started doing the curls and doing the biceps, um, the reason I never did it is because I just I was you know I did bodybuilding in high school, but after mm-hmm. that, it's been mostly powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And Brian Alsrew, <clears throat> he runs uh, neversate.com. He's a real cool dude. He said, mm-hmm. "Hey, you want to build bigger arms? What's gonna What's gonna help you more? Doing a, a row with 150 pound rows, or taking mm-hmm. a 10 pound dumbbell and curling it?" Right. But um, what I've noticed is I used to have a lot of pain in my the bottom of my biceps, so mm, the minor yep. part of my biceps, and I realized is I'm not really getting much work when I do rows and pull-ups, mm-hmm. you have to kind of do curls sometimes. Yeah. Right? yeah. To me, whether you're into the aesthetic benefits of it, looking bigger, stronger in the arm area, or you want functional performance again to the concept of bulletproofing, it's important to do curls to some extent. You don't have to do them heavy, but it's important to do them so that those muscles are always being strengthened and conditioned. Because if you think about it, like the bicep is closely connected to the shoulder and the elbow. So if the bicep itself is a lagging muscle group in that area, it's not uncommon to have that type of shoulder or elbow discomfort because of it. So, and, and when it comes to like, you know, I, I, I never understood why people in powerlifting don't train biceps because I mean, for one, you see people pop their bicep deadlifting all the time. If all the time. X grip, right? Um, but in general, as far as elbow health is concerned, I, I remember watching a YouTube video not too long ago. And, and granted, he's like an 18-year-old kid. But the, somebody asked him a question, and he's like, I, I, I don't train biceps or forearms or anything because it doesn't help me with my bench. Well, on the flip side of things, it actually really does help you with your bench because it's, it's what's helping keeping your elbows healthy to carry – such heavy loads on top of it week after week. And when it comes to working your forearms in both directions, like that's obviously elbow health and wrist health. So to me, if you're a power lifter, whether you like to look a certain way or not, you have to hit every single muscle group because every single muscle, its sole purpose in the body outside of performing your daily functions as a human being is to protect the surrounding joints and ligaments and tendons so if those are lagging and you're building a lot of strength in your shoulders, triceps, and chest, you will start to see where your body breaks down because those muscle groups are not nearly up to par with the muscles that you're constantly training. Amen. Um, I remember reading, uh, I remember watching this YouTube video on this um, strength coach. <clears throat> His name was Lauren Landau. 
And I remember he said this, that it really stuck to me. He said, when you're on the side of a highway, um, there are the, you know, the dividers, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and he asked the, the crowd, how often do you need those dividers? And they're like, never really. <laughs> right. And he said, those are your tendons and ligaments. You need to keep your muscles strong so that you never have to use those mm, as a craft. Right. And I'm like, holy shit, man. That's wild. That's a that's a really good point. I like that. I like that comparison. Um, and to that point, you know, this is beneficial for the listeners as well. Prior to working with my coach, who a lot of his stuff comes from, uh, who's known as the knees over toes guy on Instagram. Have you heard of him? Um, let me write it down because you told me to check him out once. Yeah, I forgot. So his his nickname or his Instagram name is knee, literally knees over toes guy. Uh-huh. Uh, his real name is Ben Patrick, but he's gained a lot of notoriety and popularity now by essentially showing that the concept of knees over toes is actually very beneficial for rehabbing knees, strengthening knees, and just making sure, again, that they're bulletproofed. And so a lot of the accessory exercises outside of the ones that are talking about knee flexion, um, the two that I picked up the most that are now religiously done on my end are the single leg calf raise and then the tibia raises, which I also added in your program. Because to the I was just point, about to talk about those. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you think about it, so the calf and tibia is like the form of the lower body. And so if the form is meant to help, you know, your wrist and elbow health, then calf and tibia strength and conditioning is going to directly play a role in your ankle and your knee health those are the two connecting joints mm-hmm. so those tibia raises and those calf raises to me never really appealed because you know i i accepted that i had small calves like back in high school so mm-hmm. after i accepted that i'm like you know what i'm fine i'm just gonna stop training calves and put more time into building my legs but after realizing and seeing the benefit and training them not necessarily for again the aesthetic appeal but for the functional purpose of keeping my knees healthy i've been doing them all the time. And I'm not going to lie. I I've seen some, some minor growth in my calves, <laughs> which is nice, but uh, more importantly, my knees feel good. Yeah. When I saw you had calves in my program, I'm like, did this guy just freaking throw together some program for me? Cause he was running out of time or something. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And then you explained to me and I'm like, I had the same problem. My calves wouldn't grow, so I said, yeah. fuck calves. <laughs> yeah, man. But, yeah. but I noticed it just strength. It Actually, I feel more stability in my knees after doing it. Mm-hmm. That and uh, another big improvement that I've seen in myself is my ankle mobility. So mm-hmm. specifically with the single leg calf raise, you're doing that on something elevated, and you're trying to get as deep of a stretch as possible at the bottom of the rep, forcing – ankle dorsiflexion so like it helps loosen up and strengthen the ankle and especially i always preach to do these exercises barefoot so that for one it's more relatable to jujitsu but you're actually strengthening the little uh, ligaments tendons and muscles in the foot that we don't think about Mm -hmm. so to me it's 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 like it's such a underused or utilized exercise that has so many benefits for athletes specifically um, especially in jujitsu. So like always doing something like that, barefoot, the single leg calf raise, the tibia raises, like I rarely ever have ankle or foot injuries and I credit a lot to a lot to how much I train barefoot. Wow. Interesting. It, it was funny. I was, uh, <clears throat> I was at the beach and I'm like, Oh, it's a nice, beautiful day. Let's take a little walk. 
And then after about like 20 minutes of walking in the sand, I'm like, holy shit, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Cause my feet were just so not conditioned. Right. I'm like, yeah. They were in pain. I'm like, dude, walking barefoot's really hard. I really have no muscles in my freaking feet. Mm-hmm. So would you say um, people should do exercises for their feet as well? Like, flexing and stuff like because i know in judo like that's part of the warm-up like just opening and closing your hands opening oh yeah feet. yeah so i mean those two exercises in itself to me accomplish that um Mm -hmm. flexing your toes up to your knees as high as you can with the tibia raises and then doing that with the calf raises like your your entire foot has to flex in order to get your calf to do the same so i i do even feel during those exercises the muscles of my feet start to burn which is obviously a good thing because mm-hmm. obviously that's that means they're getting activated so you know between stuff like that you know when i whenever i do any type of split squat or lunge i'm doing it barefoot just doing something barefoot in general having a better connection to the floor will help activate muscles that you otherwise wouldn't with the support and reliance of your general shoe so, and I, and I always used to deadlift barefoot in general, just cause I like being better connected or lower to the ground. Mm-hmm. But then I just started doing pretty much every single movement barefoot. And no matter how many weird looks I get at the gym, I, it doesn't even matter to me because of the fact that I know this is like super beneficial. And I hear about people getting, you know, little foot injuries and ankle injuries here and there. And I can honestly say, knock on wood, that's never really been an issue for me due to the fact that I think because I do so much of my lower body training without shoes. Interesting. So what are your thoughts on squat shoes and deadlift shoes? Yeah, so so squatting is the only thing now that I actually have shoes for um, simply because I always like the position that I can get in better with the elevated heel. Uh-huh. Um, but Otherwise, I, I wouldn't use it for the same reason. And, and so typically for me, you know, I'll have my squat shoes for deadlifts unless I'm competing in a powerlifting meet. I don't train with shoes at all. Or if I do, I try to order the thinnest pair of slippers I can find um, mm. just to make it real uh, similar. But to me, even if you aren't a powerlifter and you don't want to spend a bunch of money on shoes do it barefoot and then like you said like we talked about earlier just have your foot elevated and there's some there's some ankle wedges that you can buy online that i use um some like uh some slant boards is is the term Uh uh-huh that essentially do the same thing elevate your heel you can get smaller bigger ones but i do those barefoot too and uh that helps send your knee more far forward slant boards right yeah slant boards yeah i looked it up to buy it they're freaking expensive aren't they yeah the better ones are for sure like more than you would think but i mean it's like it's an investment so if you use it you'll get your money's worth for sure i actually i just purchased are you aware of what monkey feet is like the monkey feet so so there's this guy his name is wildlife uh wildlife strength and conditioning he loves he swears by them and then i told Mm -hmm. him about what you have me doing the kettlebell Mm -hmm the kettlebell raises mm-hmm. with my feet mm-hmm. and he's like he's like that's genius if i knew about it i would never even have gotten the monkey feet oh really <laughs> yeah i actually got the monkey feet to to see if i liked it better than the kettlebell just because but i i actually so i've seen where people use it for like standing hamstring curls and uh quad extensions and stuff mm-hmm. like that 
So there's other movements you can do. And I was genuinely interested to see what I thought about it in regards to just your typical kettlebell. But I'm a big fan of doing single leg hamstring curls on the machine. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get more of the benefit of being able to load a little bit more and have that free weight aspect. Um, Mm. I I think, I think I, I'm going to try it today, tonight, actually, but I think I should actually like the benefit more. That's what I'm anticipating. Interesting. Yeah. Because he said, um, what he likes more about the kettlebell is that it teaches to, it teaches you to flex your feet as your feet up. Just so the audience understands what we're talking about. Um, Jimmy had me starting this uh, exercise where you pretty much slip your feet into the kettlebell like you're slipping it into a shoe and you lift that up to your chest. And I have seen immense, I would say of all the movements you've told me to do, this is the one that has made the greatest impact. Oh, wow. Okay, Um, perfect. My hips feel so much better. My lower back, I don't know why, my lower Mm -hmm. back feels better. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, everything, when I play guard, I don't get freaking tired anymore. It's freaking amazing. Great. That's good to hear. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that your lower back feels better. I talked about this on a Instagram Q and a, but it's important to remember that when you're experiencing fatigue, tightness, whatever the case may be in a specific area, remember that it could always be that muscle. So in that case, your lower back overcompensating for a closely related lagging muscle group. Wow. So, So in your case, like you started working your hip flexor with the knee raises you started building some strength there. Now your lower back doesn't have to be as tight to compensate for whatever your wow. hips were lagging, you know? So it, it encourages it to, to loosen up. So you feel some relief there, which is also when I was experiencing the SI issues, and I still do it to this day, build build and maintain strength there so that your lower back doesn't have to work nearly as hard to make up for whatever else. Yeah, that's a, that's the main thing a lot of people don't understand is that um... – the next muscle down is what's going to take the brunt. Like I know a lot of people, uh, doctors tell me that a lot of people who tear their ACL within a year or two, they tear the other one. Right. Because the other leg bears the brunt of it. Yeah. Because they're not strengthening the other leg. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and also to off of that, I've seen where I, to to me, it's, it's like, you wouldn't think, but it makes sense. So if you're, have your ACL torn. My actually, ironically, I tore my best friend's ACL doing jujitsu. Oh a, no! Not a leg lock or anything, but it was a takedown. So I'm familiar with the concept. But if you train your good leg while not being able to train your other, what it does, it gives your body a reference of strength and stability to meet once you're able to start training again. So technically speaking, if you're training your opposite side while you're unable to perform with with your injured side you should be able to, to add and get strength much faster and even build on top of whatever old strength you had because your body is naturally going to want to balance itself out. So if you can continue training that side, you should see benefits. The one thing that I did that was close to this, and at the time I had no idea I was doing it right, my sophomore year of high school, I broke my wrist. So I was mm-hmm. in a cast for six months because I had to get a couple surgeries for it. And so my mindset was, well, I'm, I, I can't stop training. I need to keep getting ready. So I'm just going to just do whatever I can. So that was a bunch of one-arm bicep curls, shoulder presses. I did a bunch of one-arm push-ups. I was 15 doing 45 one-arm push-ups at the end of my six wow. months. You know, it's just stupid shit. But I also noticed that as soon as I got out of the cast, I started lifting again. 
um, I quickly actually let, uh, evened out the two sides much faster than I would have thought. I remember everybody telling me at the time, like, why are you training the other side? You're, you're going to be imbalanced like this, this, and that, the other thing. And, you know, I didn't know the science behind it at the time, but it ended up working well into my favor because I did train the other side of my body uh, while being injured. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, like a proven fact to Joe DeFranco. I don't know if you know him, but he uh, <clears throat> posted a couple articles how it's literally scientifically proven that your non-working side will get stronger because your brain has a reference point. Right. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so I have, I have a lot of, uh, I actually have a lot of Filipino friends. There you go. And I noticed <laughs> you're, you're oh, half yeah. Filipino, right? Yes, sir. How, how strong do you identify with that side of you? Well, I mean, I, I, I like to say that I'm Filipino for sure, because to me, it's a little bit more unique than just saying, oh, I'm white. I'm, I'm a white guy. You know, I mean, not, uh-huh. not that there's anything wrong with being white. Don't cancel me, America. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, I, I like to I like to also talk about my Filipino side as well. My mom and grandma who live with me, they're from the Philippines, from Vanilla or not Vanilla, sorry, Manila. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, most of my childhood was being around like Filipino women. So I'm very aware of the culture, at least here in the United States. I haven't been to the Philippines yet, but that's definitely something that I hope to cross off one day, maybe do a jujitsu competition over there or lifting. That would be fun. But yeah, I grew up with Filipinos for most of my life and you know, my mom still hangs out with her friends all the time. So it's like something that I'm just super accustomed to. And when you've been around it long enough, I'm sure you can relate with your culture, but mm-hmm. I could spot a Filipino woman from a mile away. As long as I hear a voice or see the look of their nose, I'm like, yep, they're Filipino. Yep, yep, yep. Even in the, in the new Spider-Man movie, the, the uh, Asian best friend, his mom. I, yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the mom I, was speaking. Yeah, literally, like, it, it made me laugh so hard. I was probably laughing the hardest in the theater, not because it was any more funny than anything else, but because it was directly <laughs> directly reminding me of, like, my childhood and my life at home with, like, the way his mom was talking and the way, like, he had to relay whatever his mom was saying to the people. It was so funny to me. But, you know, yeah, it's just it's just very easy to spot. Um, I, I don't speak Filipino. I know phrases. I can recognize the language when it's being spoke. You know, I mm-hmm. like the food. You know, I'm I'm not your most Filipino inclined individual for sure, but I'm aware of the culture. Interesting. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's crazy that um, when I I'm a little older than you, mm-hmm. um, you know, being an Asian male, the stereotype was being tough, like freaking Jackie Chan or oh, yeah. Bruce Lee. But then over time, it became the stereotype became being good at math, being really <laughs> smart, et cetera, getting into good schools, something else. And and we're, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're starting to see the rise of the of the tough guy, Asians like yourself, you know, well, well, we thank got- you. I mean, uh, it, I think people like you and I like, you know, you and I have to come out for the culture because. You know, Mr. Chow came out with a hangover and it's like we've been in a deficit ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, like, what's some what's some advice um, you would give to your fellow Filipinos or other Asians on, you know, not being intimidated to getting into the strength sports, not being intimidated to being a tough, like a tough guy? You know what I mean? Because a lot like one of my. um one of my students is Korean and okay. you know, his parents tell him this martial arts obsession you have is a little childish. Mm. 
And I'm yeah. like, oh, man, I just wanted to smack his parents. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what are some advice you would give as a role model? So what I've noticed is that each Asian culture is pretty similar, but it has its differences, yeah. specifically when it goes to like parents and stuff like that. So I would say most Asian cultures, their parents emphasize grades and emphasizing, you know, schools, whereas mm-hmm. your typical, I don't know, Chinese parents want their kids to become a doctor, your typical, exactly. you know, parents either want or end up with their kids being a nurse, you know, all those stereotypes. But I think that, well, for one, it's a little bit ironic, right? Because martial arts gen- generally it's derived from, from, East Asia. from Asia, right? All so, of it. All yeah. of it. <laughs> so, like, it's insane. That's the part that gets me the craziest. I'm like, how? Right. So that, that is interesting. But to me, I mean, outside of whatever you're kind of forced to believe as a kid, I, I think I think Asians actually have really good genetics when it comes to lifting or, or anything athletic. I mean, even on the bodybuilding side of things, some of some of the Asian competitors have the most like beautiful muscle bellies and physiques just with yeah. their genetics alone. You know, um, there's a lot of Arizona competitors that are Asian and like, you know, their physiques are, are just amazing. And so when it comes to that and, and powerlifting, you see some of the best lifters in the world are Asian. I mean, uh, what's his name? The deadlift panda guy. Have you, are you familiar with him? No. Um, freaking 180 pounds deadlifting 900 pounds, just clean oh. and literally, literally doesn't look muscular at all whatsoever. <laughs> just like the most perfect form. But obviously the Asian genetics are there. Um, when it comes to jujitsu, I mean, like you, you have, I mean, Cody Steele, Cody Steele is a great, great example of, you know, an Asian competitor. I hope yeah. to be that example here in the near future. I mean, I, I think that the athletic genetics with Asians are probably much better than what maybe the culture or our parents want us to believe. And yeah. I'm lucky enough to where my mom, the Asian, the Asian side of me. She's super supportive with most things that I do. The only kickback I get from her is her like being afraid that I'm going to hurt myself. Right. But that's Uh understandable. But, you know, she 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 loves that. She loves the lifting and she loves the jujitsu. She's never, you know, said I shouldn't pursue martial arts to be a nurse or something like that. You know, so I can see how that's rough. And I think it's all culture to culture because I know I have a couple of Chinese friends and, you know, their parents are kind of the same way. And Mm -hmm. it's being it's hard, you know, being an Asian American where you're used to the American culture, but then when you come back home, it's like you're going back to your home country or the home country that your parents are from. And I think that a lot of times parents are unable to see the reality of what's around their kids and see how it's different from what they're used to or what they expect. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to evolve to what the reality is, they just try to keep it to what they know. And even though at the end of the day, the parent typically wants what's best for their kid, it doesn't necessarily mean what they want for their kid is the best for them. Exactly. Exactly. Like, um, for me, Iranian culture, it is a very masculine culture. Um, you know, especially the province where I'm from, it's all about fighting and mm. being tough. But there are parts of the culture where, like, when I tell people I do jujitsu, they're like, oh, you should play more classy sports like tennis. Really? And, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, something I would I would give the young, you know, Asian or Middle Eastern guys, um, if they had any advice, I would just say, Sometimes it's good to not listen to your parents. You don't always have to listen to them. 
Yeah, you, know, you got to do what you love in life. You know, I agree. Uh, life, life is only so long, and to imagine doing something with my life that I hate just because whoever wants me to, like, I for one would regret that person forever. But then also yeah. think about all the time I wasted doing something to fulfill somebody else's dream, and that's just is not in my DNA. So yeah, I completely agree with that advice, and so it, it's hard don't get me wrong to come to the point to where you're going to own whatever the hell you want to do to whoever the fuck supports or doesn't support it. But once you can come to that point, there's so much mental clarity within that. And then you can surround yourself with people that genuinely want you to achieve success in, in what you want to do in life. There's no better feeling. Yeah. It's um, I a hundred percent agree with that. This is coming from me who went into public accounting and just got a freaking normal day job just mm-hmm. because. And then after a year of running my own jujitsu school, it, it's making more money than what I was doing in, at a, in accounting. Yeah, man, that's so awesome <laughs> to see. Like I'm watching all your stories and stuff and you know, that's super inspiring. And uh, I, I hope to do something similar somewhere down the road. So good for you. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely a blessing and it's crazy Monday used to be the worst day of the week for me. I'm like, oh, Monday. Right. But now Monday is by far my favorite day. It's when the gym's most packed and I'm right. actually looking forward to it. It's hilarious. That's great. Yeah. Um. So we're about to hit one hour. Do you have any final things to say to the audience? Well, if you don't mind, I actually have a question for you that I've been meaning to ask. Hell yeah. So um, I don't know. So I don't necessarily have a relationship with Gordon Ryan or anything, but I am the person that introduced them to CT Fletcher. Like I am the reason that they actually connected um, because yeah. So, and they did a podcast on flow grappling and my name was mentioned in there for a little bit, but basically long story short, I was at West coast trials, CT Fletcher, who's a good friend of mine came to watch me compete. He was standing next to me and um, Gordon came up to CT to introduce himself uh, because he had been a fan of CT's work. And I'm like, yeah, CT, this is Gordon Ryan. He's like the best jujitsu guy in the world. And, and uh, they started talking and we took a picture together. And then, you know, Gordon had him on his podcast on flow. And, uh, and Gordon, you know, remembered me from that time. And I talked to him a little bit at East Coast Trials. That's where I met you. Wait, and, CT uh, so, Fletcher was at East Coast Trials? And no, he was, at, he was at West Coast Trials uh, in 2019. Oh, okay. yeah. So Gordon was still injured at the time. So he was just watching. But uh, yeah, CT was there. And then that's how I met Gordon, because I, I introduced CT to to him, you know. And uh, so, yeah, he, he just kind of remembered me. So I was I, I was wondering, like, uh, what's your relationship with like Gordon and, and their squad? And like, uh, you know, how did that come about? Oh, so it was weird, you know, um. The first, I got heel hooked by a 16 year old uh-huh. in 2017. And I, and my school did not allow leg locks at the time. So I said, fuck this. <laughs> I quit and I, and I signed up at Henzo's the next day. Oh, cool. And it was literally like fate. I go in, Gordon's the first person I see. He says, what's up to me? How are you? Um, <clears throat> all my roles, my roles were Jake Shields, Gary Tonin, Gordon Ryan. Nikki Ryan, my first day, first wow. day. Like they're very cool. They roll yeah. everyone, and most people are very intimidated after school, after the class, to go hang out in that little circle where John's mm-hmm. talking. 
Mm-hmm. But me, I'm just a fucking idiot and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So I just funny. went and I sat down, I introduced myself and um and I didn't get invited to the secret training sessions because I was good. I just got mm-hmm. invited to the secret training sessions because I was funny. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they just loved me. So they're like, Yeah, we do secret training sessions here every Sunday. You're invited. Oh, so that's, so that's cool. kind that's kind of how I got into the uh into the squad and then after getting to know them they're like oh shit you actually competed decent amount uh-huh. and you know they start to respect me because of my competitions that are just my jokes and stuff but <laughs> okay yeah just, yeah oh. we're all a very close-knit uh we're all very close-knit gordon's definitely one of my best friends wow, and, that's um, he he came to my grand opening man like he does seminars at three hundred dollars a head and he came uh-huh. to my grand opening for my school for free Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, well, you know, yeah, I always wanted to ask because I remember meeting you and, you know, you're with Gordon and everything. I'm like, okay, so like maybe he's like his student or something. And then I followed you on Instagram and I'm like, this guy's having a whole last Thanksgiving with just uh, <laughs> Ryan and John Danier. I'm like, oh shit, like this, I'm like, this is more than just like a student. They're like actually pretty good friends. And so I was always wondering how that came about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know Gordon because I introduced him to CT and I've kept up with him a little bit since. And I was just wondering, like, what your relationship with him. I've always really so obviously, despite all the stuff that comes out about Gordon online and his different, you know, strategies to market super fights and everything. I've always been a very uh, big fan of him. Like whenever he's in person, I've seen him in person, like at trials. You know, I was shocked to see that he, for one, rem- remembered me and then like came up to me and shake my hand. He shook my coach's hand. You know, after both trials, actually, he always asked, like, how I did and, you know, like, gave me a little bit of advice and shit. Like, I, I honestly, like, I, you know, despite what people think or say, like, I'm, I'm a big advocate that he's a really good guy, you know, like, behind the cameras and, and stuff, you know what I mean? And I'm sure you can attest. Yeah, you know, he, 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 is, he is definitely crazy, very crazy dude. But at the end of the day, man... <clears throat> If I was about to get into a freaking knife fight, he would he would definitely be there mm-hmm. having my back. And, that's and that cool. means that means everything to me, you know? Yeah, that's really cool, man. Yeah. But as far as who's whose student, I would say he's more my student. No um, doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, hundred percent. He you know, <laughs> you know, the king the king is the king, right? I'll always yeah. admit that. But, but Sultan means king of kings. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah see that's why that's why i originally thought you were in texas because i thought you were like his student in austin mm. no i go way back to new york with all of them okay and, uh, you know i couldn't i couldn't move to austin and puerto rico because i have my own school right yeah and my school i love my school but you know sometimes i wonder i'm like should i be in austin right now mm-hmm. yeah totally i mean it's super tempting for sure i i definitely want to make a trip out there Thank yeah, man. Let me know if you ever go. I'll 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 talk to him. I'll I'll get you in in uh, secret training sessions. Oh wow! Yeah, that would actually be amazing. Thank you for as, sure, man. As we as we talk about it live on air, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not a good idea, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, any any last plugs? Where can they find you besides for Instagram? Yeah, so on Instagram, as as you said earlier, is jhouse182. I also have a coaching page on there, coach underscore Jimmy House. And my business page is under at Team House Strong. If you're interested in checking out my website to purchase different merchandise, you can find me at www.teamhousestrong.com. TikTok is Jimmy underscore House. 
Twitter is at jhouse182, and then YouTube, you can just search up Jimmy House, and my name will pop up as well. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, man. Hopefully, you do this again soon. It's an honor, dude. Thank you so much for having me. Very, very thankful to have met you. Yeah, man. Same here, man. You have a wonderful night. Thank you, brother. You too. We'll see you soon. So there you have it, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Fellas, ladies, if you enjoyed the episode, all I ask is that you share it with your friends and family. I will never ask for money because I have a job. Only people I will ask for money is uh, sponsors. All right, guys? So at K-O-O-L-R-A-K, Instagram, at Immortals Jiu-Jitsu, at Rambling with Rack. Check out the website, immortalsjujitsu.com. Come check out the gym. If you want to buy merch, I got hoodies, T-shirts, rash guards, everything. All right, guys, you guys have a wonderful, wonderful day, and I will see you next time.